Amen, 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 amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited. I don't know about you. I'm excited. I'm excited to be in the presence of God this morning. Are you? You excited to be in the house of God? Ready for the word? You do realize that's a rhetorical question, right? Whenever a pastor says you're ready for the word, he's not actually asking for you to say you're ready. He's just hoping that you are because he's going to preach anyway. Just like when a pastor says, can I have five more minutes? He don't really mean he's taking. He's letting you know he ain't done. <laughs> and he's working on it. You know what I mean? Amen. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. But let you know, this is a message that I spoke and shall met. And I wasn't going to preach it in three days, but the Lord said, I want you to preach it this morning. I said, okay. I thought I was starting a series this morning. Instead, I'm starting a series next week. But um, once I... I realize now why he wants me to start the series next week because half of y'all are home this morning, but it's all right. Um, I do have to say also that um, I enjoyed the picnic. Did you guys enjoy the picnic? I did too. I do know that my, in my next sermon series, I will be teaching on the proper way to play cornhole. Um, no, the, the proper way to play cornhole. It just happens to be the way Shelmet plays it, you know what I'm saying? But, um, no, I'm just kidding. It was a lot of fun. It was hot, though, Lord Jesus. I, I tell you what, if anybody lives in southeast Louisiana and doesn't get saved, they're strange. Because hell is worse, but outside is terrible. Right? Like, it's just bad outside. I, I don't want to spend five minutes outside. I can't imagine eternity, and it's going to be worse. I wonder if hell has humidity. Like, I've never checked the Bible on that. I'm going to have to start looking, but I'm curious. Like, if it, I don't know. There's no water, so I guess it can't, but I, I, I hope it don't. I mean, it, I guess it don't matter. My ankle be there, so. But, anyway, next week I'm starting a sermon series that I want everybody to, to really grab a hold of and really chew on because it's going to challenge you and it's going to take this church, like, I'm believing it's going to take this church and literally just bump up a level immediately. Um, but I need next week. I need you to bring your, your, your Bible, like like this one, right? I want you to bring this one when I don't need electricity, because we're gonna be really looking at some stuff, and I want you to write in it, and I want you to take notes, because the next sermon series that I'll be doing, I think it might have been the most impactful one I've ever done, um, and it totally changed the Shelmet Church. When the Lord told me I was taking this church, that was the series He first told me to preach. He just didn't tell me to preach it yet, so I'm starting next week, but. I'm telling you, you want to be here. If you're not here this morning, you're watching, feel better and get here next week. It's going to be good. Amen. Open your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6. We're starting in verse 6. This is a very, 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 very preachable story, but you may have never heard it the way we're going to do it this morning. But if you've been in church any length of time, you've, you've, you've heard this preached. There are passages of Scripture in the Bible that people that are very easy to preach because there's some really easy application from it. This being one, David and Goliath being another one. And you hear them preached all the time. I've probably preached, I don't know, ten different messages from the story of David and Goliath. I've preached probably three or four from this one. And this was different than all the other ones I've preached. But the title, if you're taking notes, is This is What We Will See. This is what we will see. 
Father, I pray that you allow me to preach this, teach this, whatever I got to do with it in a way that honors you, that none of my opinion or theology come out. I pray that every person on the sound of my voice would leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying so that we can see what you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8 through 17. We're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to have some fun. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and this is not 2021 or whatever. This is back, you know, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Then one of his servants said, None, my lord, but O king, but Elisha. Say Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Y'all, that's so cool. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And, I was, and it was told to him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose and early went out, and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's the super preachable part that everybody preaches all the time. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Like Elisha, you and I find ourselves in very very similar situations. However, I doubt you have ever looked out your front door or your front window and saw an army, like tanks or chariots or horses, standing in front of you wanting to kill you. I doubt that's ever happened. If it has, that's a really cool story that you've got to tell me if that's ever happened to you. But chances are that has not happened to you. However, you know what it feels like to be surrounded by opposition. You know what it's like to be surrounded by an enemy, surrounded by by circumstances and things that are out to destroy you. This is a very familiar place that many of us can relate to, many of us may be in this morning. And I think what happens is a lot of times we think we're surrounded by trouble until we get surrounded by trouble. And then we're like, oh, this is what trouble feels like. When I was in youth ministry for many years, you'd meet with a young person, be 14 years old, and their boyfriend broke up with them, and the world has ended. You know what I'm saying? And it was like their, their bay for like six months. And the world has ended. And, and I remember talking to parents about how they don't want to stand why they're so stressed out. It's just a six-month relationship. I said, no, 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 you want to stand. I said, to them, that's real stress. So they don't have a mortgage yet. That They don't have insurance to pay yet they don't know what it's like to wake up and your refrigerator has broken like they don't know what that's like so to them it's real stress and so the same thing for us is a lot of times we think that what we're going through is troublesome until we go through something troublesome that's why it's important romans 14 says they have mercy and grace on those who have weaker faith because it's not my fault and it's not me to judge you if you haven't walked through the fire i've been through yet I can't, I can't toughen up. No, you haven't had the chance to yet. 
That's like you walking up to me, and I have obviously not spent a lot of time at a gym, and you being mad that I can't bench press 250 pounds. Why can't you? Because I can't bench press 150 pounds. That's why I can't bench press 250. I haven't gotten there yet. It's important to remember that when we're talking about being surrounded by trouble, that your trouble isn't the same as somebody else's. But it's our job to look at each person's trouble within the context of their own experience. Because if not, I'll judge you and I'll think I'm more spiritual than you or I'll think that you're weak because you can't handle what you're going through. When in all reality, we can all find somebody who makes our trouble feel like pleasure. So... He looks out, the servant looks out, and he sees this army surrounding them. It's a plethora of things that are bringing chaos, disruption, and fear into your lives. And I know you know this because you've read the Bible and you've had good preaching here. You know that Elisha does double the miracles that Elijah does. And Elijah, to me, is like, look, he's probably the coolest person to me in the entire Old Testament. It's either him or Abraham. They're like the two, oh, Moses in there too, and David. Okay, I'll stop. But... Elisha's, Elisha's got like the highest peak and the shortest run. He shows up in 1 Kings 17, and it's like, I'm on the scene, bam. And he does these amazing things that have never been done, and then he's like, all right, I'm out. And he leaves. It's really quick. But Elisha comes along, and Elisha does double the miracles, and he does a lot of crazy things too. But So a lot of times we would think and read this story, and we say, oh, well, of course Elisha's not worried. He's the guy that makes an axe head float. He's the guy that, you know, stops the bitter water. He's the guy that hits the river with his cloak and it parts. He's the guy that a dead body was thrown on his bones and it came back to life. Of course, Elijah looks out of the window or whatever and he sees the army. Actually, he doesn't even look. The servant just tells him, like, I'm not even going to get up and look because I'm not worried about it. Of course, Elisha would do that. I can't do that, though. (laughs) Who am I? No, you have an advantage over those people. See, the heroes of faith did all these amazing things, but we have an advantage over them. We don't live like we do, but we have one. The first thing I want you to pull from this morning is, number one, is you have the Holy Spirit in you. Say in you. Let's say in me. Say I have the Holy Spirit in me. Elisha did not have the Holy Spirit in him. He had the Holy Spirit upon him. And you could put a jacket on. You could put a jacket off. I will take this shirt off at some point today because this shirt isn't in me. This shirt is on me. The Holy Spirit came upon Elijah. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon Moses. The Holy Spirit was not within them. We have him within us. Romans chapter 8, my favorite chapter in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. That one line is an entire sermon. Like just pulling that apart could be a whole sermon by itself that I'm not doing this morning. Now, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. Because of the cross, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And if you have not surrendered your life, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 
we lose the awe of that statement. I genuinely believe that if, if the body of Christ in the United States, the body of Christ in Metairie, if the people just, I'm not even talking about who's home, just people in this room lived with an active, real understanding of the Holy Spirit residing, living, and dwelling within us. I, I, I can't even begin to comprehend or communicate the way our lives would be. you got to realize something. David didn't have this. Think of all your Old Testament heroes. They did not have this. You do. Yet we're the ones that sit in the fetal position with anxiety. Now, we don't know if David did. We read Psalms. We, I mean, that Psalms is like David's Twitter or his Facebook. Or he, he posts all kind of stuff. I'm terrible. They're terrible. Grind their bones into powder. Knock their teeth out. But you're faithful. That sounds like most of our social media, right? Right? That's, I mean, we don't put ground your teeth out because somebody would report you and you get put in Facebook jail and all this kind of stuff. But thank God there was no, you know, psalm or handwriting jail back then or whatever because David would have got put in it. But David and all these people, they went through the same things as we did, but they didn't have the same thing happening on the inside as you and I do. There's a power that you and I have access to that we don't usually walk with an application of that is sitting there on the inside of us waiting to be used. It's the same spirit that hovered across the face of the deep when God said, let there be light. When God said, let there be light, he didn't create light. He, think about the word let. Let is a word of permission, not a word of creation. I don't create my child to have a, a cup of milk. I let my child have a cup of milk. I'm giving them permission to give them something that I already have. So when he said, let there be light, he was simply letting creation happen. It already existed within him. He just let it happen. It's the Holy Spirit that took what God said and made sure it happened. The person who makes sure that the word of God happens dwells in you. The person who makes sure that what God says happens dwells in you. So if God says that you're more than a conqueror, the Holy Spirit makes sure that you're more than a conqueror. So the only reason that I am not living life as more than a conqueror is because I'm not living life in the Spirit. But this says that he dwells in you. So that's the number one advantage when we look out the window and we see the army surrounding us. We see the circumstances surrounding us. There's something greater on the inside. That we've got to live with an understanding of. Let's keep going. The second thing. Go back to chapter 6 verse 14. Therefore the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out. There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him. Alas my master what shall we do? The second thing you've got to realize is you're a threat to the enemy. Think about, think about this for a minute. We're talking about a prophet and his servant. And the king sends an army. Why? Why would the king send an entire army? Why would he waste resources? Why would he waste the horses and the food and the water and the supplies it would take to send an entire detachment of his army enough to cover the hillside. We're not talking about like a little group. The hills are covered with chariots. He sent an entire army after this prophet. 
because the king knew that this one man was a massive threat to his entire plan. Do you want to know why the enemy attacks you? Because he's afraid of you. He attacks you because he realizes what a threat you are to his plan and to his kingdom. The problem is, is he realizes how much of a threat we are way more than we realize how much of a threat we are. That's why Elisha didn't even get up. The servant's panicking. Elisha doesn't even stand up and doesn't even look. But think of an entire army for one man. Because this one man under the power of the Holy Spirit could ruin the plan of the entire army. John 10, 10, we know the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life and life to the fullest. There is a plan for every single person. Just like God has a plan, the enemy has a plan. There's a plan for both. And no one is a greater obstacle against the plan of the enemy than you are. Nobody is a greater obstacle to the plan of the enemy in your life except for you. You are, you are the obstacle against his plan in your life. So when I look around and I see things in my life that don't line up with what this word says I should have in my life, I need to be asking myself the question, if I'm the strongest place of opposition against the plan of the enemy in my life and the plan of the enemy is manifesting in my life, then I'm not putting up enough opposition. We don't like to have those conversations, though. We like to blame things on the enemy. Y'all, the enemy lost 2,000 years ago. Like it was dumb. When Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't saying it was finished in like this precursor type of way no he closed the book then he paid the bill then it was done back then so we're not in a position of hoping victory happens we are simply in the position of watching and waiting for victory to manifest it's a much different outlook when you see it but we usually live our lives wondering oh man is that an attack of the enemy Listen, the enemy attacks. I'm not saying he doesn't. Most of our problems are not the attacks of the enemy, though. Most of our problems are our own stupidity. Let's be real. Sometimes, yesterday, my kids were playing, and um, my little son loves to be the Hulk. And um, he does a really good job of it, too, by the way. Um, and they're playing, and yesterday, he's like, they're like fighting the bad guys. And he's just getting so into it. I'm like, Sam, you got to calm down, pal. you got to calm down. Like, like, he's got a big head like me. He's got a little body. And so, like, if he throws too much in his center of gravity, he gets thrown off. You know what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of weight up here with these Rodriguez heads. That's why I keep the belly to try to balance it out, right? But if you look at me and my brothers, we all have these enormous heads. And so my son is, you know, I guess blessed with the same genetics. Anyway, and he's, he's fighting yesterday, and he's, He's tacking America because he can't say captain for whatever reason. And so he's fighting, and he throws this punch and just loses it. Whack! And smacks his face on the floor. And got up, and the world had ended for like 11 seconds, and then he was back fighting the bad guys again. <laughs> Nobody pushed him over. Nobody laid a trap for him to trip on. There was no trap door. Nobody threw a rock at him from across the room. His sisters didn't hit him with a bear. He just messed himself up and got up ready to fight somebody else because if somebody else did it. How many times have we responded to an altar call because the enemy's attacking us, looking for somebody to blame, and the devil's like, oh, it's free publicity. I didn't even do that. 
because he don't need to. Half the time, we get in our own way. We, we set our own obstacles up. We make our own mistakes. But there's something greater in here that allows me to become the opposition to his plan in my life. The enemy's plan for your life is divorce. It's overdose. It's depression. It's lack. It's, it's, it's defeat. It's despair. It's depression. It's fear. That's all his plan for your life. And the number one person, the number one obstacle to preventing those things from manifesting in your life is you. And that's why the enemy surrounds you. That's why the enemy surrounds you. But you see what normally happens? What normally happens is God allows circumstances to take place in our lives. And the enemy tries to take advantage of them. Because the enemy has no creative power. All he is is a pervert. You know the word pervert isn't just sexual, right? It's to take anything out of its intended purpose and use it for something else. So the enemy comes along. See the, the situation with the roof in Shelmet? That's the hand of God. The enemy can't control the weather. He can't. The devil wants me to think it's him. The devil wants me to think that it's, it's me reaping something or it's his attack on the. No, 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 that's God. God said, I want to give you a new building. Let me just peel the roof back a little bit. That's what that is, apparently. The way I read the Bible, the enemy can't do that. But what he does do is he goes, ooh, I, we could take advantage of that. We, we, we can move on that. And he jumps in, and what we're supposed to be watching God turn around for our good, we end up running from because we think it's an attack of the enemy when it's not. God's setting you up to cross the Red Sea. Stop complaining about the problem that there's water in front of you. Because we're the obstacle. He'll try to attack us and have us living defensive, fear-filled Christian lives so we won't go on the attack. Or in the worst-case scenario, he will try to have us so fearful that we start attacking each other. Because, oh, well, that person don't understand what I'm going through. They're not backing me up. That person said this. That person was mean to me, whatever. And all of a sudden, because of the pressure and the frustration and the stress in our own lives, because of the opposition that's coming against us, we turn on each other. How many times do you read that in Scripture? How many, when you watch military history, there's all kinds of time in the heat of battle, friendly fire happens. Because of the chaos that's raging around them. The enemy loves when you and I go at each other. We're fighting the fight for him. If me and Joanne have a disagreement and we don't handle it biblically, and I talk to Nick about it, and she talks to Jamie about it, and I talk to Daniel about it, and she talks to Taylor about it, next thing you know, you got division in the church. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Paul says this. But we're not careful. We don't realize it. We're not paying attention. We're not on top of things enough to realize that the enemy is using you and I against us. Against his purpose. We're supposed to be going against him. Now, number three, his fear is always part of his plan. Think about that servant when he looks out and sees this army. He's terrified. Remember, he don't have the spirit within him, right? There's no mention of the Holy Spirit coming upon the servant, so he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Yet I know that 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. 
But why does the enemy always use fear? You know this, that whenever fear happens, our fight or flight response kicks in, right? You see something terrifying and you either run to it to fight it or you run from it. A buddy of mine was his house. He was in Araby for the tornado. And the tornado literally went through his side lot. And then it turned. Y'all, it's unbelievable. It turned behind his house, ripped his AC units out the house, and tore his neighbor's shed down. It was that close to his house and didn't do any damage to his, it did damage to his house, but didn't tear his house apart. And when he describes the story, he, he opened the door to go see when he, glass was shattered everywhere. The door frames had been, the doors and door frames whole had been ripped out of the wall, not just the door. And he gets some tennis shoes on, and as he, he starts hearing screaming. And he threw his tennis shoes on, and he ran outside. Other people, same situation, froze. I'm not picking on either one. Both were fear. Mike's response to the fear was he ran to it. Other people's response was he ran from it. Because his fight or flight response is genuine. But see, spiritually, most of the time when we get afraid, we turn and run because it's an enemy we can't see. It's, see, if I, if I see the bad guy, I can size him up. I can see what my chances are. And I'm not a good fighter, but I'm a much better shot than I am a fighter. So I'm just like, all right, do I really want to go here? Do I just want to keep driving? You know, whatever. We'll see. Just kidding. Kind of. But <laughs> I, I look at the situation and, and I assess it. But when I can see the enemy, it's when I can't see the problem, when I can't see lack, I can't see fear. I can't see depression. I can't see a diagnosis. I can't see these things. They just come against me. My natural response is to run. Or worse, most of the time when a situation comes, Christians find themselves making the most appropriate decision. Well, the problem is the most appropriate decision is usually the one that makes the most sense to the world. Except John 1.5 says that light came and darkness could not understand it. Hear me out. If you find yourself in a problem situation, you find yourself in a fight, you find yourself in the middle of chaos and turmoil and the enemy's coming against you, and everybody at your workplace that is not filled with the Spirit understands what you're doing, stop and think about what you're doing. Because... What we're doing, how we live our lives should not make sense to people who do not have the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't make sense. Why are you encouraged right now? Why should you be excited? Why are you still going to church? Why are you still praising God? You've been diagnosed with cancer. Why are you still lifting your hands? Because he's my healer, but you have cancer. But he's my healer, but you have cancer. But he's my healer. See, faith responds differently than fear does, and faith should always confuse people who don't have the Spirit of God. So when our response makes sense, I'm just going to say it, when our response makes sense to sinners, it's probably the wrong response. We don't think that way. 
Because the real problem is when our closest confidants or our family aren't serving Jesus and they want to speak into our lives and they want to give us counsel and they want to give us advice because they love us and they care for us. But, but I, 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 here, that's why Jesus says that there is no male, no Greek, no free, no slave, no all the, but there's only one Jew, there's only one in, in Christ. And then he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate your mother, your sister, your father, your brother, your son and daughter, and come after me. Why does he say that? Because there are going to be times when even the closest people to you do not have his interest in mind for your life. They may have your best interest, but your best interest has fallen on its best day. His best interest is the one I want, and I want people who have his best interest for my life speaking into my life. I don't want people who have their best interest or my best interest. Because my best interest only sees this particular moment. His best interest sees eternity and the rest of my life here in between. So I need people around me who are going to tell me the right things. And the people who aren't, simply not, I'm not mad at them. They just can't. That would literally be the same. Do you remember those Holiday Inn commercials? I'm not a brain surgeon, but I said it at Holiday Inn last night. You ever see those commercials? If not, they're really, really stupid. A guy walks into a, an operating room, and he's, like, putting the gloves on. He's like, all right, give me the thing. He's like, who are you? Oh, I'm not a doctor. I just stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. That's the whole point of the commercial. It's like, Holiday Inn is so fantastic. You can do all these things. Well, let me tell you something. If I walked into an operating room this morning, it's like, oh, I got it. Well, let me, give me the scalpel. I'd, first of all, I'd pass out. I am not a blood guy. I'm not that guy. Like, I will pray for you with my eyes closed because I will probably pass out. and just not that person. But. If I, if I run in the room and I start trying to, to do surgery, that's a problem. Why? Because I know nothing about it. Why do we let people who know nothing about things of the Spirit give us advice and we take it when they know nothing about the things of the Spirit? Light came, John 1, the word came, light came into the world and darkness could not perceive it. They could not understand it. They could not comprehend it. There are going to be things about our lives that people do not get. They don't like. It doesn't make sense to them, and that's perfectly okay. Because then they get to see, wait, let's see what happens. Oh, that's different. Hold up. Hold up. She got stage three, whatever, and she's still worshiping. Now she don't have stage three no more. She ain't got nothing. Whoa. Hold up. That's what happened. But if we don't let ourselves be put in those positions where we do things that don't make sense to the world, because he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses those things. Right now, many find ourselves in the same place as a servant. We can see the enemy all around us. We can feel the urge to run. However, there's always two sides, and there's always the voice of God. It is easier, convenient, and more acceptable to withdraw and run from a conflict. But why run from a battle that's already won? Why? Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I've said this to you all before. I'm going to say it again. It's my goal in life to have this whole chapter memorized before I die. It's just long. But what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is, sorry, furthermore also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Do you understand that what that is saying is that these things, he's not saying these things won't happen. He's saying these things won't separate you. So why do we think that these things mean we're doing something wrong? No, this is God showing off. This is God saying, watch, I'm bigger than this. Watch, I'm stronger than this. Watch, I got you through that. You didn't think I could. Watch. You didn't think you could walk through it. But with me, you did. Watch. If we never go through hard stuff, we never get to see how good he is. Let's keep going. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, this is how I read the Bible. When I see a V's, I want to know what the V's is. All these things, we just read them in verse 35. Right? So all these, persecution, tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, perilous sword. In all of these things. That's when you underline these, you draw a line back to verse 35. These things, we are more than conquerors. How are you more than a conqueror? What does that even mean? Like in our thinking, conqueror is it. Like, I have conquered. Yes, I have won. I have met the goal. I have beaten the team. I have, we've won the war. We have conquered. In our ability, conquering is all we can do. It's in his ability that more than is applied because the only way we could be more than a conqueror is for someone else to conquer on our behalf and then apply that conquering to us. That's why we're more than a conqueror. 38, for I am persuaded that neither life, I mean death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what God is saying. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying when you look out and you see the army on the hills. When you look out and see the diagnosis. When you look out and see the problem. When you look out and see the opposition. This is what he's saying. Is what can separate you. These things can't. I already told you what these things were. You're more than a conqueror than these things. Even in all these things, you're more than a conqueror. So the enemy is coming. He's standing on the hill. He's roaring. He's a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a roaring lion. He's not a biting lion because all he does is talk. But he's coming at you. He's attacking you. And he's standing there loud and proud, yelling in your face. But it doesn't matter. Because I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he who lives in, who lives in me? The Holy Spirit. That spirit lives in me. So normally, the way this sermon is preached is you have a choice. Are you going to see the army on the hills or are you going to see the army of God behind it? That's normally how this is preached. I'm not preaching to this one. I'm not giving you an option. I'm going to tell you what we will see. As a church... We will see souls saved. As a church, we will see sick healed. As a church, we will see addicts delivered. 
I got to give you context. I don't mean delivered in the context of they come get saved and go through 18 month pro. I'm talking about they walk in bound and they walk out free. We will see marriages restored. We will see bound people set free. We will. We will see people move from a place of lack to a place of provision. We will see people go from a place of paycheck to paycheck to a place of abundance. Why? Because you'll find out the next four weeks that God is not interested in your money at all. It is simply a tool in his hands. That's it. We will see these things. You know why it's important that we decide we're going to see these things? Because the enemy will be there tomorrow morning. And why is he there? Because he's terrified of you. He's terrified of this church. He's terrified of the, the anointing and the calling and the purpose and the destiny in each and every one of us. He's terrified of it, so he's sending his army to try and stop it. He's terrified of you. He's terrified of what's inside of you. He's terrified of you walking in power. He's terrified of this church walking in power. Because I'm sick and tired of seeing the enemy beat up believers. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing the enemy beat people down. I'm tired of being beat down myself. Let's be the church. Let's be the believer that hell's afraid of. Let's, let's make that decision to be the believer that hell's... He's coming at you anyway. He's attacking you anyway. Like, you got to understand something. He's coming. Because of what's in you. Whether you're going to use it or not, he's coming because he can't stand the thing that's in you. So he's coming. So let's be the believer... Hell's afraid of. Let's be the church that hell doesn't want us to be. The church that stands up and says, we're going to love you, but we're going to see you get set free. This is what we will see. Not what I hope we see. Not what I'm praying we see. This is what we will see. Because if I give us the option, oh, Pastor Chris, it's so hard. Oh, Pastor Chris. Oh, Pastor Chris. No, Pastor Chris. Been in church a long time. I've been there a long time, y'all. Oh, but Pastor. No. Oh, but Jesus. You see, I, I, I need you agreeing that this is what we will see. Because when you agree that's what we're going to see, the next time the enemy comes, you remember what you're supposed to see. And if you forget, the person standing next to you is, ah, that's not what we're supposed to see. We're seeing addicts set free. That's not what we're supposed to see. We're not supposed to see you struggling financially. We're going to see you walking in provision. That's what we're going to see. How we're going to see it? power of God's going to manifest itself. This is what we will see. Bow your heads this morning. 
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you are not only in the room, but you're in our lives. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be ambassadors for your kingdom. You've called us to walk in an active understanding and knowledge of your power and your presence and your goodness and your mercy. Father, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would become so real and tangible in our lives. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom, you'd give us understanding, you'd give us knowledge to walk with you and be more like you every day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, then that Holy Spirit isn't living on the inside of you. this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Chris, I've never given my life to Jesus. Or maybe maybe you have and maybe you've just dropped the ball. And you, you're like, you know what? I need to do this again. I need to make it right. I need to make it a fresh start. If that's you, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I see those hands. Just put any time on there. <laughs>